Welcome in to the All Things Go podcast, episode 23. I'm your host, Derek Yoder, joined as always by my co-host, Brian Murphy of Stuart Oss Racing. And Brian, before we look back at Talladega and look ahead to Dover, I want to introduce a very special guest to the program tonight, and it is none other than Kelly Crandall. Kelly does freelance for Racer.com. She's also the host of the Racing Writers Podcast, a two-time NMPA Writer of the Year, and the co-host of NASCAR 75 Years. And Kelly, I had the opportunity to listen to your podcast this week where you had Laura, Beth, Barnhart on the show. It was tremendous to hear uh, some of the stories that you all talked about. First, thank you for joining us tonight. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate you listening to the podcast. That's always yeah. good to know people are paying attention, but I'm excited. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I know uh, Brian and I are both uh, excited. You know, 10 races into the NASCAR season. What are, what's your assessment so far with uh, you know over a quarter of the way through? And now we're getting into the stretch where the wild card races seem to be behind us. And now, you know, Dover, Kansas, Darlington, North Wilkesboro and Charlotte are on the docket. So what's been your assessment so far? It's funny you asked me that uh, earlier this afternoon, actually. Someone asked me, so how do you feel about the season? And I, I said, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. It's It's been a, a long 10 races so far, whether it's uh, things that have happened on track or there's been so many headlines off track between driver injuries. And we're still talking about the race car and the racing and, um, you know, some less fortunate headlines. And there's just mm-hmm. a lot that's gone on. Um, I, I think we've seen some good racing. We've clearly seen some not some good racing. The short tracks are still struggling. Road courses. I thought the road course racing wasn't terrible. Um, of course, there's a lot of talk about lack of respect. So that's another part of the conversation. But, yep. you know, through 10 races, I think it's been a typical season in that regard. You're going to have your highs. You're going to have your lows. There's been a lot to talk about. I, I don't really think we have a clear favorite just yet. Obviously the Hendrick Motorsports cars look really, really good. They're really fast, but I still mm-hmm. think, I still think that, you know, there's a lot of contenders to this point. So yeah, it feels like a pretty uh, typical season so far. Like I said, just a little tired uh, from my perspective of things I've had to do. Brian, I'm sure you're the same way. It, it, <laughs> it's been a long start so far. And you mentioned the races that are coming up. Gosh, we're, we're really about to hit some great race tracks and yep coming back east and the return of Wilkesboro and obviously the 600 is always a, a unique weekend. So uh, it's been busy, but it's about to get uh, a lot more exciting, I think, with these racetracks we're about to hit. So I, I think over the next couple of weeks, we're really going to have a much, much better idea of where everybody stacks up. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And like you said, hopefully you can get some rest here. Catch your breath before we really get into the summer stretch uh, of the season. And like you said, a lot of storylines with some of the tracks coming up. But, you know, before we dive into more of this year, I'm kind of curious to hear from you. Uh, you're obviously on the opposite end as, you, you know, you're a, a podcast host. But now today you're on a show. So I'm going to let you do a little bit more talking probably than normal. But uh, just kind of curious about your background. How'd you get into the sport and uh, you know, what were some of your passions that led to what you're doing today? Yeah, I, I've told this story a few times and I always try to shorten it every time I tell it because it, it, it I can Great. get long winded here. I, I went once I got into the sport in 2001 and I'll tell that story in a minute. Mm-hmm. I have been into it. Um, my dad always made sure that if there was a show car in town, he would take me to see the show car or he'd run over and get a hero card and a picture if I was in mm-hmm. school and if there was NASCAR drivers coming to wall stadium, cause I'm a New Jersey native. So anybody who okay. knows that racetrack, if there was NASCAR drivers coming to wall stadium, I was at wall stadium. So I've been deep in it since 2001. I became a fan. Uh, the very first race I watched was the Pepsi 400 from Daytona. Uh, that was won by Dale jr. And the reason I watched that race is okay. because, my dad was watching the Daytona 500 when Dale senior passed away. And the analogy I always make is he was a casual fan, but as a casual football fan, we'll watch the Super Bowl because it's the biggest mm-hmm. game. He was watching the biggest race of the year. So all I heard about was the death of Dale Earnhardt and how special it was going to be for the series to go back to Daytona. And he and a family friend even entertained trying to get tickets. I don't know how serious they were about doing that, but they kept talking about this summer race so much that I said, I just need to sit down and figure mm-hmm. out what they're talking about. And um, 
I sat down, watched that race. And from my recollection, I didn't move the entire night. I think uh, I was in my beanbag chair and I was just enthralled by the speed, the sound of those cars back then, right, Brian? Mm-hmm. You, you know, the, the sound of those engines at Daytona back then, even through the television and the, the lights and the colors and obviously the story that was being told on the broadcast throughout the entire night. And that's what hooked me. And by 2002, 2003, I was watching every race, every practice session, every qualifying session. I was, you know, magazines and I subscribed to NASCAR, NASCAR scene, I think at that point after Winston left. And I wanted to write for that when I grew up. And um, like I said, I just, I was all in, very obsessive. Mm -hmm. I wanted to know everything. And we would, in 2004, my very first race that I went to was at Daytona. I went with my dad, and that became a summer tradition every year until, up until the point, no joke, until the point that I covered my first race at Daytona. We went every year um, to that summer wow. race. Also went to the 2008 Daytona 500 because that was the 50th anniversary. So, again, I don't want to get too long-winded, but, I, yeah, I was that kid. I had the PlayStation games. I yep. posted on Instagram the other day. You know, because I, I, I hit the, the memory hit me of I'd play those games for hours, right? And like mm-hmm. I, I was never the one that did the toggle. I had always had I would do like the X, right? So you're mashing down the X button and leaving the imprint in your thumbs. Mm-hmm. And the memory came to me the other day of like I would play those games so much. My grandfather would walk in and be like, "That's gonna rot your brain." And I was like, "Well, here I am, all grown up, but I'm still playing with race cars." So I, I, I guess he was right. But yeah. Um, it didn't come from a racing family. It just like I said, it just happened. And and once I caught the bug, man, it, it, it sounds cliche, but I caught it and I caught it bad. <laughs> well, that's cool. I mean, that's, that's a really good story. And I, I live in uh, uh, Pennsylvania. So about two hours from uh, the track where you said you kind of grew up in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're in. You know, so who were you a fan of? Obviously, Junior watching him win. Were you a junior fan? Were you a Rusty Wallace fan? I know we had Kavana on and we talked about that a little bit. So who who'd you follow? It was Dale Jr. And I think it was just because, again, it was happenstance. He, he yeah. won that first race that I watched, right? So yep. it was almost like I didn't know any better. And uh, yep. so, yeah, I, I rooted for him a lot. And my best friend, once I got into racing, I realized that one of my best friends was also in racing. And she, she was a Jeff Gordon fan. So then we had more to talk about. And back then, I mean, Jeff and Jr., before they became teammates, right? It was like, for whatever reason, everybody wanted to always make them enemies. So yep. – I was a Dale Jr. fan, but um, I do remember I hated Jimmy Johnson. And I've told this to Jimmy and and, and his people uh, over the last years when, when I became a media member. I was like, I hated him so much. He just because he would win everything. You right? win. Yep. yep. Win everything. Um, I, yeah. So I, I, I did. I did like Kevin Harvick just because like he just was that brash like hard nosed racer, mm-hmm. but my loyalties were with Dale Jr. But as I, as I looked around a little more, I was like, okay, that guy's cool. And it's kind of like what fans do, right? It's like, no, I don't like that yeah. guy for some reason, but I like that guy. That guy's cool. So, but I was all in on the junior train. <laughs> I like it. I, my first race that I ever watched, uh, went over to a friend's house cause they kept talking about this NASCAR thing. And uh, it was the 98 Pepsi 400. It got moved from July to October because of wildfires. And uh, Jeff Gordon won. That was the first. I think it was the first race under the lights. And I got hooked. I was kind of like you. Practice, racing. Yeah. Like, it was everything. I just I wanted it all. And uh, But that those rivalries of the fan bases uh, are true. And it's kind of crazy to think that, you know, you became a fan in 2001 with Junior watching that race. But Kevin Harvick being in that race. And now here yeah. we are. You know, 22 years later, and he's still racing at a high level, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. So you go from being a fan to working in the sport, writing and doing everything that you're doing, obviously, with the 75 years. And you talked about, you know, Junior, he just got announced, I believe it was today, that he's one of the top 75 uh, best racers in, of all time in the sport. So uh, there's a lot of storylines, like you said. It's really interesting because... I'm kind of having these full circle moments for myself. So Kevin Harvick and Dale Jr. You mentioned those are great examples, right? Because mm-hmm. I come into the sport. I'm a Dale Jr. fan. I'm all about Dale Jr. All about Dale Jr. Then I get to cover him as I become a media member. And then I get to cover his last season. And mm-hmm. now 
here's Kevin Harvick, who again, another one that I, I came in the sport the first, his first year in the cup series. And now it's like, I've watched his entire, I have, it strikes me as crazy. I have watched his entire cup series career <laughs> and now I'm covering his final season. So yep. it's crazy. And I've had that a few times. You were asking me a minute ago about who else I liked. Tony Stewart was another one. I loved Tony in that Home Depot car. I thought that was so awesome. Mm-hmm. And when he started his home, his own team, the, those first couple of years, I'm like, this dude is crazy for doing this. And then that 2011 battle with Carl, I will always remember that. I remember watching that race vividly. So he's another one, right? Is I then got to cover him and then his retire. I remember being at his announcement when he announced it was going to be his final year. So it's like, yeah, these moments now are starting to stack up for me. And I'm like, I can't believe all of this is coming together. (laughs) Uh, It's crazy. in such a short amount of time uh, as well. I was thinking about it, you know, with Brian, you know, Brian, I know you were at the track on Sunday and we didn't get to talk much, you know, since you returned from uh, Talladega, you were in the pits, you were able to do the tear off, uh, you know, give chase the, the water bottles, Chase had a little moment there where he spun and I was all excited. I was with a buddy of mine out in Ohio and we were watching the race. And I was like, you got to watch this. They're going to keep the, the camera right on the car. You're going to see Brian. And then they, they switched it as quick as they could. We got stuck. So how was that for you? Good. It was a fun weekend as a whole. Obviously, again, we showed up with a ton of speed, qualified really well. Um, and yeah, the race just kind of got pretty crazy for that 14 bunch uh, early on. Um, but, you know, overall, just a fun experience got to do tires for the first time and, and everybody was so helpful through all that just throughout the garage it's it's crazy how um instantly when you walk in and, and i know a lot of tire guys because you know i've been in the garage for a little bit now but as you walk in and everybody's just so helpful um you know giving you pointers showing you where your tires are at um helping you run tires or, or do whatever needs to be it's it's it was just really really cool to see um all the com- uh, camaraderie and um help that i was given got to learn, you know, new, a new, new part of the sport, you know, doing tires. It's, it's crazy how much work those guys have to do to, I, and I only had seven sets to get ready. You know what I mean? We go to Darlington next week and those guys have 14, 15, yeah. 16 sets. So, um, you know, I was struggling just with the seven that I had to take care of even without practice. So, um, but yeah, and then the race, you know, going over the wall, it was, uh, definitely an exciting experience. Um, you know, five laps into the race, Briscoe came on the radio and said, I'm going to need to tear off a water bottle and someone to retape my finger. And I'm like, man, can you just give me one easy stop <laughs> to kick this thing off? Like, I, I don't, you get two things, you know, I could get all three, but you know, unfortunately spun coming to pit road kind of set that team back. But, um, again, you just can't give up in these cup races, especially 500 miles. Um, you know, we battled through a bunch of adversity, the 22 going a lap down really, really screwed up. I think the center of our race where, you know, if, if we could have got that lap back there, it would have, um, you know, helped mm-hmm. us progress through the field a lot earlier than we had to. Um, but yeah, a crazy race as a whole, we got the accident, had a um, bunch of other things that I'm sure we'll talk about this episode, but again, just a fun weekend for me as a whole to uh, try new things and um, get the adrenaline pumping more than I probably have in the last five or six years. So uh, a fun weekend for sure. Well, you kind of got bailed out a little bit. I'm sure your heart was racing knowing, okay, he's asking for all these things, coming down pit road, then he starts spinning, and you're like, oh, maybe I can (laughs) relax here a little bit. So you kind of got bailed out, it sounds like. I did. I did. Actually, J.D., the car chief, came over the radio and said, Murphy, did you ask him to do that so your first stop wasn't (laughs) such a a scary one? Yeah. Yeah, it it was a fun experience. Well, knowing that you got to do tires, I didn't know that you were going to be doing that. Obviously, Chase came back to finish fourth. So in the mix with that, you know, there was a wreck, a couple wrecks there, but uh, definitely was a contender late. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with the 14 team going into this weekend. Uh, Kelly, I'm sure you were at Talladega. Am I correct in that? I was. I was one of the few who were talking to Chase after that, trying to figure out what what the hell happened there, man, coming to pit road. So he... He has some funny things to say about that where I, of course, I just wanted to know what it was like to do the world's slowest donuts on pit road. Right. Because <laughs> I, I actually was standing out there. I always watch the start of Talladega from the photo tower that's on pit road, mm. uh, which is near the entrance to pit road. Uh, it's just a little tradition. Love being out there watching the start of the race. So I actually stayed out there much longer than I anticipated. So I saw that happen live. 
um, it, cause it was just a couple pit boxes down from where the photo tower is. So that really helped, you know, post race, because then I could ask mm -hmm. him about it. I just wanted to know about, you know, doing the world's slowest donuts. And he, he laughed it off, but he said, yeah, it was, it was as embarrassing as it was funny, basically, because, you know, he could see everybody kind of taking their cell phones out and filming it. And he said he was waiting to turn into a meme. So I'm sure that will <laughs> pop up over the next couple of weeks and people will use that. But, and then you mentioned his finger. I mean, to hear him talk about how much pain he was in, I didn't realize it was that bad, but he made a good point. You know, now that he's got those pins in his finger, it's like anytime mm -hmm. someone touches those, he was just even at a, a super speedway race where you think, you know, it's not as crazy as shifting and running over mm -hmm. curbs, maybe at other racetracks, but he was in a lot of pain. So that was a long day for him. Um, I was at Talladega. Glad I got to be there and listen to him talk about all that because that, that was a crazy comeback to go from two laps down to come back to finish fourth in a race like that was pretty impressive. So, and I do want to say, I don't know if anybody has set the record straight because I know he's been getting a lot of flack for, oh, you know, you spun out coming to pit road. Like he actually made the decision to spin out because he said, listen, I was carrying so much speed because he was trying to outbreak people, which he always feels like he's been good at doing at places like that and, and Daytona. So he's like, I was trying to outbreak people, but then I realized I was not going to outbreak anybody. And instead of clobbering the 42 of Noah Gregson, he's like, I'll just spin myself out. So it was a weird series of events, but good for him for, for coming back to finish fourth. When, when we were on the plane, uh, everybody was asking what, what he was thinking. Um, you know, first of all, we were coming down for fuel only. So coming in that hot, I mean, we were going to have to change tires because he was going to have a flat spot him regardless. But then after that, he goes, yeah, but I almost had it. No, no, you didn't. You weren't even close no to having it, man. No, but I, 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 that's like a Paul Walker, you know, fast of the original Fast and the Furious. Like, yeah. dude, I almost yeah. had you. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, he wasn't dude, even close. You, yeah, you almost had me. You didn't even have your car as uh, as Vin Diesel's car. Man, I'm gonna Brian, I'm glad you told me that. I'm gonna the next time I see Chase, I'll be like, Chase, I heard you tried to pull Fast and the Furious. That's what it really was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> dude, I almost what? had you. <laughs> Well, at least he didn't. At least he didn't wreck it, you know, because Reddick came in and he bounced it off the front of the wall and uh, could have ruined not just not just his day, but all the other TRDs that were in. There's only six of them that are racing, so that was definitely uh, interesting to see. But like you said, Brian, I mean, coming down for fuel only, coming in that hot, um, you got a lot of TV time though. And with Tony's face on the side of the car, uh, that definitely I thought maybe that was part of it as well. So that's interesting that he thought he almost saved it. I, know, I don't buy that. I know I saw Kelly. Kelly got a selfie with a little cardboard cutout. So I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That cardboard cutout was definitely making the rounds for sure. Yeah, so you well, said, Kelly, that you you said you like standing there at Talladega. Where's another spot? Is that like your favorite spot? You know, you go to all these tracks. Is that a favorite spot of yours? Is there, you know, another track that you're like, hey, I'm always here at a certain spot, first part of the race or at the end of the race. I know it's different with storylines and all the stuff you got to do. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think Talladega is really the only one that I do that at, which is mm -hmm. go outside for the start of the race. I mean, there's times at Daytona where as the race is going on, more more normally during Xfinity races when I'm not so having to be plugged into what's going on, where I'll go outside and stand on top of the garages at Daytona and I'll, you know, just because I want to see like live racing. But I think Talladega, that is tradition, just to go up in that photo tower for the start of the race and see that. I can't think of anywhere else that I would really do that. I mean, Martinsville, so it's easy to go outside, but those, I mean, these next gen cars now in Martinsville, it's so loud. So I try not to do that. Um, hmm. yeah, I, th I think Talladega, now that you ask, I think that's the only one that I really do that. Cool. I, I, it's, it's terrible though, because I really do love watching racing, but as you said, it's like, you gotta be so plugged in and I got the scanners mm -hmm. and I'm trying to keep notes. I'm trying to be really good about my note taking throughout the race. So yeah, I'm, I'm normally always in the media center, but there's, there are a couple times where I'm like, you know what? I just need to go outside and see actual racing because I do love this. So um, yeah, yeah Talladega has become tradition to do that. Yeah, because because you're still a fan. You know, you're a fan first, and then obviously your occupation and all that that you're doing is yeah. you know what you're what you're trying to build on each day. Uh, especially I wanted when to do it track. for the truck race at Martinsville, and then the weather ruined mm. that. <laughs> I was actually going to go sit in the grandstands because I had nothing to do that day. I was all caught up, caught up on things. And I wasn't even planning on being at the track that day. And I ended up there and I was like, you know what? It's like, 
maybe I'll just go sit in the grandstand and like actually watch yeah. this race and like enjoy it. And then of course, uh, as everybody knows, the, the weather did not cooperate. So I, I bailed on that. <laughs> I, I don't think too many people yet got to really enjoy that race. And unfortunately you mentioned weather and we have some more weather pending uh, Saturday, Sunday, you know, potential washouts with practice qualifying and all that. And at a place at like Dover where there's no lights. So nobody has to tweet Bob doesn't have any lights or anything like that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens this weekend um, with all those series. And then you were just mentioning too about Briscoe. And my, one of my thoughts was, you know, with his finger and he's got like that massive thing on it. This has to be a difficult race for him where, you know, just getting down in the turns and everything compared to like, I would have thought maybe, Talladega was a little easier, uh, but maybe not after hearing some of the pain that he's had. So I would anticipate that's probably going to be a difficult race just because of all the G forces and everything that goes into this type of event. Uh, who's a name that maybe you're keeping an eye on going into uh, the cup race this week, Kelly? Oh man, I don't know. Don't say HMS. Don't give me an easy answer like Chase or Larson or something right? like that. Um... Yeah. I don't know. I, the, those are the easy answers. I I, I want to <laughs> say I want to say Gibbs because they ran so well there. Okay. But, but I don't think it was last year. I might have been thinking about the year before that. But yep. if the thing is, if Denny's car, if he's got a car underneath him at Dover, he can dominate mm -hmm. a place like that. Mm -hmm. So if they, you know, we're gonna find out how they're in the ballpark if you know if when they show up this weekend, right? Um, yep. Uh, and I'm not just saying this because I'm because Brian's on here, but but this is a Harvick type type racetrack. He's another one. If his car is good here, he could be, he could be really really good here. Um, so yeah, if you're taking the Hendrick cars out of the equation, I'm taking them. Yep, yeah, I, they're yeah. out. I look at Gibbs. Okay, there was a stat that I heard uh, that I think it's happened the last five years where when a Chevrolet is won. Then a Toyota's one. They've gone back and forth. I think that's been five years in a row. So this year would be a Toyota if uh, those trends would come. But I like the Harvick call out, uh, mm -hmm. JGR as well with you know Hamlin, Truex. Uh, I think those guys could definitely uh, get it done. And then Harvick, like you said, he's he's a guy that just can is solid each and every week. So yeah, I, I at think, a place I, like this, the, the track house cars I think will be really good. Um, yeah. they've been they've been good everywhere. So there are another ones. I just, I, <laughs> I haven't said team Penske because it's like, I think you could both agree. Like those cars are, they're not there. Like, obviously they were good at, at, at Talladega, right? Because that's a, mm -hmm. that's a speedway race. But like in general, they are so hot or cold this year. Yeah. You don't know, you don't know what you're getting on any given weekend when you show up with those cars, uh, with that team. So I'm really hesitant to say one of them because again, until you, until we go into practice, if there is practice, depending on the, what, what the weather's going to do, mm -hmm. I don't, again, you don't know what, what team you're getting. So yeah, I, I would look at Gibbs. I look at, I mean, Harvick's good everywhere. And I think those track house cars are going to be really good there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Me and um, Derek were talking right before the show about, you know, he said, what, what, what track can you really compare Dover with? And honestly, the tire loads here are greater than anywhere else on the schedule. The yeah. only one that's even comparable would be Bristol, which is also concrete. So um, you could almost kind of look at that Bristol night race a little bit and kind of draw some comparisons. But other than that, it's Dover's kind of its own track, which, you know, kind of can throw out some curveballs and surprises when it comes to who's going to run good and when and how. So yeah. um, that's why I was know, kind of hemming think, and hawing because <laughs> it's like I think, I think it's, it is. It's its own thing. It's definitely a track where a team could either sneak up or – Maybe, you know, the, the people that have ran good in the last few years are, are going to run good as well. So um, it's also a track, unfortunately, you know, it's one of my favorite tracks for a lot of reasons, but it is a very strategic track in which can be single groove for the most part and one that has a lot of green flag runs, mm -hmm. which in my opinion does reward a lot of the drivers that don't make mistakes. Because when you make a mistake at a track where you have these long green runs and there is a lot of strategy, you're going to pay the price much more than you will if there's cautions or, or ways that are going to bail you out of that um, that issue. So, you know, people like Harvick who are just so smart and never make any mistakes are usually going to rise to the top at tracks like Dover. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to, to get there. Really hope that we, we've had a good pass there since I've been at Stuart Haas. So 
we're on this good, uh, you know, run with momentum. Uh, we have some speed in our cars. So I'm really hoping what we've learned over the last month and a half can carry over to Dover before we get to Kansas where, um, you know, that's kind of a big question mark for us. Yeah. Yeah. Dover is one of those where I feel like, especially with the next gen car and, and, and you both can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like Dover always had a reputation of being a really tough racetrack, right? It's hard on the cars, hard on the drivers. You can't make mistakes because the wall will jump out and get you. It's hard to get on pit road under green flag conditions, all of these things. I feel like with the next gen car that that is now more true than ever because it's this is a car that again it's this car is already difficult it's easy to be terrible you know it's it's it so again we're talking about you know you're either going to show up and be good or you're going to show up and be bad it's hard to make that swing in the other direction so if you're already fighting a bad car and you're not on your a game um if we have long green flag runs i think it's i think the cream could really rise to the top here because you're going to see drivers are going to separate themselves by who can keep the car underneath them and who can really go to battle with this racetrack? Yeah. Dover, I think is to your point, um, you know, it's tough. There's so many spikes in travel here as well that, you know, can create, it, it's kind of like Richmond. We talked about with cook a couple weeks ago where it's a very smooth racetrack, but you have very high spikes in travel where it is turning off and shutting, uh, turning on or shutting off aerodynamics um, as you go around the racetrack. So this, this, track just causes a lot of issues for drivers not only on the physicality side um, or the mental side but also just having to deal with your race car how it progresses through run and um, you know what it does as you go through these high transitions of of load from you know the top of the racetrack down into that corner where you're just feeling incredible amounts of g-forces so um yeah it's again it's <laughs> i feel like i say this every week is kind of my favorite track but there always are different race or different reasons for for why each track is unique and, and creates great um racing or storylines in my opinion and i love dover i if there's one thing i would love to see it's it's a night race at dover but i don't think we're ever going to see lights be put around that one mile track <laughs> oh i wouldn't say never brian i think i think we will see lights at that speedway at some point so Never say never there. It is interesting, like you said. I mean, from a team standpoint, Brian, don't don't have to give any of your secrets away, obviously, but it is a unique racetrack. So how do you guys – I know these cars are more universal. We talked about it, you know, a lot with last year. You guys used Cole Custer's car at the Clash, took that to Daytona, out to uh, Auto Club, then the Phoenix. So the list, you know, of tracks, the range of tracks there. So how do you guys prepare for a race like this? Is it – uh, a short track car? Is it an intermediate car? Or, or are those things thrown out the window because this car is more of a universal type vehicle? No, I mean, the differences in car from, say, a speedway to an intermediate or short track are, are wildly different. But, you know, as we talked about with the short track package or the low downforce package, the goals are still the same. And that's that's max downforce. So regardless, for me, as, as a you know body guy or somebody that has to concentrate on the aerodynamic side, you know, you're, you're constantly just trying to toss as much downforce as you can on this car and, and how the teams utilize that as far as dynamic ride heights around the racetrack um, or, again, how they have to deal with those spikes of, of travel is, is kind of up to them. So um, really, you know, the, the cars are built as much really the same when it comes to the short tracks and intermediates or, or even Dover. So, um yeah, it's, it makes it a little easier than it did, say, with the, uh, you know, the the package with had the low downforce, high horse or high downforce, low horsepower package that we saw for a couple of years there where you really had to find efficient downforce and, and have to battle between how much drag you have compared to how much downforce you'll be able to run. So, um, yeah, ease, really, the goals are easy now. Just just max out as much of the performance as you can. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that helps answer that. Cause I was kind of curious as we were talking here, just how, you know, kind of some of those things go together. Kelly question for you and, and something that I oftentimes have been asking guys like Pacris, Weaver, whoever we're having on, that's kind of in your world. And I feel like your world is, it has to be a balance of relationships and finding gathering stories. So how do you balance the two in obviously when you find a story or have a scoop, you want to write on it, but you also you know, have to kind of, see some of those relationships and uh, how do you balance that? Yeah, I'm probably a little more reserved compared to the names, some of the names that you just threw out. Um, I, 
I hear a lot of things. I probably hear just about everything that's going on. Some that's true, some that turns out to not be mm -hmm. true. I am just very reserved when it comes to chasing certain things because I, I, I don't want to be wrong, right? You never live that down. You'll never live that down. I don't want to put myself in a position to ruin a relationship or be wrong. Um, so I'll say it again. I, I'm Yeah, I'm very reserved. I hear everything. I do try to be in the know. So I, at least I can expect if something's going to happen. Um, but if I'm going to break something, it needs to be, I need to be, you know, triple, four times, five times, six times sure before I'm going to do something. So that's why I don't break as much. I've Listen, I've done a few things in my career, but it's not as much as a Bob or a Weaver or obviously an Adam Stern or Jordan Bianchi. And I have all the respect in the world for those guys. But yeah, I just, um, that's just never been my area. And, sure. um, you know, that again, it's just not my thing. So I just, I try to be in the know, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to tweet about everything I know, or I'm going to write about mm -hmm. everything I know until I'm absolutely sure. Uh, I'm sure Racer would love that I was breaking more stories, but it's just not something I've ever been good at or comfortable with. So, um, but yeah, you, you hit on it there. It is, it's about relationships. You don't want to get something wrong. You don't want to, again, ruin relationships. And you hear about, you know, sometimes that 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 writer pissed off a PR person or they mm -hmm. pissed off a team because, you know, they didn't want that out there or they didn't want them chasing that story. And it is a balance between, is it your job? Is it not your job type thing? So I understand both sides of it. I just have always taken the approach of whether it's been breaking news or any kind of story is I try to have really good relationships, obviously with the drivers, but really good relationships with all the PR reps. They are the gatekeepers, right? And if you piss them off, um, your job's going to get 10 times harder anytime you need something else. So I never try to go behind their back to get something. I always try to be very straightforward, again, whether it's news story or a feature story or a podcast interview of mm -hmm. having really good working relationships with all of them so that, you know, it just makes my job easier and to respect what their job is. That that That's what they're there for, right, is, is to coordinate mm -hmm. and be that person that's supposed to be making these schedules and handling these requests for those drivers. So I definitely put them to work on that end, but yeah, I work very hard to have really good relationships with people. And again, just try to quote unquote, do it the right way. I guess, you, I guess you would yeah. say. No, I, no, I think that's great. It's always something I'm looking forward to ask, you know, people in your role. I, I, I uh, really respect, you know, what people like you are doing because I mean, it's, it's for the fans, they're there to watch their favorite driver, but for you, you're there to gather the storylines, to talk to so many people, not just drivers, team owners, people, part of the crew, PR representatives. So I always uh, have a respect for uh, what you all do. Now we talked about it uh, at the beginning about writing and reading. I want to talk about you and being a co-author for NASCAR 75 years. I know it's a big deal uh, for you. I, see, I keep seeing the tweets uh, of the book, people taking pictures. They got it in the mail or, you know, wh what's that been like? What's that process been like for you? You got your name edged, at, you know, down at the bottom of the book there. So what's that whole process like? I know I know it's something that you're really proud of. It is extremely proud of and just extremely um it's just special to be a part of. I, I've always wanted to write a book or write books, and I still do. I hope that's the first of many, but that's certainly a hell of a one to be associated with for the first time. So I, I'm glad that I had some co-authors, and and I don't even mind. You know, I I, I didn't need to be the only author. It's cool. I, it's, I'm in great company. Um, that book is going to go down as a reference point for this sport for years to come, and it's a very, very special piece of work. So incredibly honored to be a part of it. And yeah, just special personally, again, to be involved in a book project and um, to be able to handle the 2000s, 2010s and 2020s, which as you all now know, I'm very familiar with as a race fan and felt very comfortable doing that. And yeah, it, it really was a dream come true. I've posted that a few times and I know, you know, listen, that term gets thrown around all the time. Right. But it, it truly was as someone who is a, a big time reader. I, I said it in my Instagram and in my video that I posted on Twitter, I live at bookstores. That's not an exaggeration. I will walk down a book aisle at a target. If, you know, if there are books, I'm going to go look at them and see them. Uh, I love to read. I read so much every year. I have to keep track. I have, apps to keep track of what I've read because I've read so much I don't want I want to make sure I don't read it you know a second time and mm -hmm. so yeah to be involved in something like this 
And again, something that's going to go down as a reference point, a historical thing for the sport is really, really special. It came out amazing, even as a Mm -hmm. reader myself, looking through that book and the pictures and the way they put together, it is, it is pretty damn cool. I must say it came out really good. (laughs) That's good. You should be proud of it. I, I assume it's just off to your right is what I'm assuming. You kept looking over there. So I assume (laughs) it's probably over there. You kept, yeah, as you were talking about, which is great because, you know, you should be proud of that uh, effort and work because I've seen so many pictures of, like I said, people taking it. You obviously did a video, I think from your car and, Mm -hmm. you know, I saw all that stuff when it was happening. So it's really cool to see that you are a part of NASCAR's history and it being the 75th year and, you know, the work that you and the team did, it's really cool. So I'll, what I'll have to do is whenever I get it and I come to a track, I'm going to have to run up to you like the, like the fans do to drivers and be like, Kelly, will you sign my book, please? Yeah. So in Talladega, we had our first official book signing that the publisher at NASCAR put together and went out to the NASCAR experience in the midway. We did a Q&A and they gave away one of the books and um, it was actually a not a little kid, but he was, he was a kid. He was, he was a younger fan and he was pumped, man. We, we did some trivia and he was all excited. He knew his trivia. I don't know if he was excited to get the book or he was just excited because he was there at the racetrack, but he got the book. He was all excited. And then we went over and, and signed some for folks as they were buying them right there at the racetrack. So that's been a lot of fun. And yeah, my media colleagues have brought some to the media centers. I've signed a bunch of those and uh, have, you know, had a team rep, you know, bring hers to the racetrack and brought it in for me to sign. So it, it's it been really cool. Very, very cool. And um, yeah, Talladega was special. I think we're going to do some more. I think the, the publisher and NASCAR is working on doing some more official signings. But yeah, I love when people run up to me. I actually, I signed a couple t-shirts as well at Talladega. So that was okay. cool. And at Martinsville, I signed my very first hat, I think it was. So I'm like, I'm, I feel like a driver now where it's like, what, what have you signed? Not instead of just hero cars. I'm like, okay, a t-shirt, a book, a hat, you know, hopefully it doesn't get too crazy, but yeah, it's, it's been fun. I'm, I love it when people come running up. So go right ahead. Good. That's good. Uh, hopefully nobody gives you like their baby. Like you see some of the people that, that just on the forehead of the baby there. Well, that's cool. I, like I said, I can't wait to get mine. And, and uh, you know, like I said, whenever I'm at the track next and we're, we're there together, I'm going to have to run up and, and get you to sign it. Cause that's cool. Uh, and that's historic. And that's something I want to have, you know, in my uh, office here. So uh, that'll be really cool. So you said that there might be more uh, signings down the road, any other projects or anything that you're currently working on? <laughs> The website and the podcast keeps me pretty busy. So now that the book is out, we're, we're past that. So no, no big project, so to speak, just obviously uh, all website work and constantly trying to book stuff for my own podcast, which you all mm-hmm. know how that works, you know, trying yep. to always make that happen. So no, no big project, so to speak, just, you know, everyday stuff for the for the website and feature stories and constantly thinking about that. So if I am not working, I'm thinking about work. So yeah. I need to get better at not always doing that, but that's how my brain works, right? Is I'm thinking about writing or I'm writing. So, um, but who knows, you know, something may pop up between all of that and Sirius XM and everything else people keep me busy with. You, you never know what project. <laughs> <might come. laughs> what, what about a bracket? You know, Denny, Denny uh, sent his, you know, feelers out there to everybody to listen to about the bracket. Have you filled out a bracket at all? I haven't, but I will say I'm very tempted to because I don't do that with like basketball or I, I'm not really allowed to play fantasy football because I'm too competitive and my team names are always inappropriate and, you know, people get on me about that. So, um, that, <laughs> so that's I, the I part don't... of making up team names. That That's the joy of it. Everybody's yeah. got to know who, who to identify with. Yeah. That's good. So I don't, I don't do a whole lot of that for other sports, but this bracket thing, now that people have like actually made it to where I just have to fill it in, I'm like, you know yep. what, this one, this one is tempting. Cause I, sh- you would think logically, I should know what I'm talking about with this one. So mm-hmm. I did, I saw one earlier today and I'm like, you know what, I might have to print one out and, and kind of I- do it just for fun. <laughs> I'm going to challenge you to do one. So uh, uh, on my NASCAR betting preview show podcast, Alan Kavana and I are going to be breaking down the bracket in its entirety. We're going to go through that. So I'll have make sure that's tweeted out so that you can uh, obviously get that bracket. But you got to fill one out because that would be fun to uh, – I think it's cool. I think it's – you know, it's one of those things, and we talked about the 75 years of NASCAR, but it's really cool to see – so many people coming, uh, be, becoming more engaged uh, on Twitter or any other social media networks and just 
getting involved in NASCAR, understanding a little yeah. bit more. It feels like there's a lot of negative speak, you know, whether it's ratings or, or what have you, and everybody can kind of dwell on some of that stuff. But there is a lot of conversation about the sport as well. And I think that part of it is really cool to know that, hey, there's a lot of conversations happening, even if they're, you know, some are negative, some positive. But I think that's uh, something in 2023 I've really been appreciative of seeing at least. Well, I think the whole bracket idea is something that everybody can understand, right? Because obviously racing is really unique, but I would think most sports fans understand the concept of a bracket, right? So to bring that to racing and just whether it's a fun social media thing or if it turns into something else, that's great. But it is something that, that in this case, just using this example, yeah, it gets people talking. It gets people engaging on social media because they can understand this. They can follow along with this, right? Everybody likes to have something that keeps them engaged. I mentioned fantasy football, right? And there's there, there's all, all of these other sports have things that can keep fans feeling like they're involved. And yes, there mm -hmm. are things in racing to do that too. But I feel like this concept really does that because everybody understands, okay, I understand a bracket. I understand head-to-head matchups. I understand, you know, winner-take-all type thing. I, I think it's awesome. So it's pretty cool that that came out of a podcast and people latched onto it. And here it is. It's it's a Thursday afternoon and people are still talking about it. And maybe it gives something, you know, fun to kind of keep track of during a weekend for people when they're tuning into a race. So that's what I always used fantasy football for. Yeah. I mean, I'm a football fan. I love watching Red Zone. But when I used to play fantasy football, that's what also kept me engaged because I'm like, you know what? I'm invested in this. I have something yeah. to follow. So bringing that to NASCAR, I mean, again, if, if that's what gets people to pay attention, go for it. <laughs> yeah. No, fantasy football is a scary world. I, I used to get so involved. And then like a couple years ago, I was like, I don't care who the third string running back for the Seattle Seahawks is anymore. I just don't want to care. Uh, so you said football, though. Who's your team? Because tonight on Thursday, uh, April 27th, is the NFL draft. So who's your team? Well, half there's the one, there is a right answer. There's yeah, a right answer here. It's probably not going to be the right answer, but um, after the last couple of years, I hate to take ownership of them, but I've I've stayed this long, so the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay. Nothing <laughs> wrong with that. Yeah. Nothing it's, wrong with that. Kenny Pickett and company, nothing wrong there. But Brian and I are Packers fans. Brian, I know you, we just lost. I was, I was thinking, I, I thought I remember her being a Pittsburgh fan, but in my head I was going to say, she about to say the Jets because, damn. <laughs> Well, no, I didn't know I was she was raised better than that. Listen, I might be from the north, <laughs> but I was raised better than that. Come on now. Um, no, it's actually over my shoulder here. I have one of the yep. Super Bowl signs. So yeah, I've I've been a Steelers fan my entire life since uh I mean literally since I was a kid. So I've I've stayed committed this long through the ups and downs. So I guess I'll keep going, but man, it's been painful. <laughs> it's been oh, it's not a bad painful. not a bad team though. I mean, like you said, young team, Kenny Pickett. The, the, the offense looks good. Defense is what they're known for. So I would say that you guys are uh, going to be just fine. And, and the Steelers just feels like they draft. I know they just got Allen Robinson. See, now we're doing a whole football podcast here. So, you know, it's just the list goes on and on with names that you guys get. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the draft this year. But uh, I, Pittsburgh was a good answer. There was two answers, Packers or Steelers. You, you picked on them. So I like you, Kelly. That's good. My, good answer. My dad makes me laugh because – we're a sports family. Like I said, we're not a, we weren't, we aren't a racing family in the sense of none of us raced, but we're a sports family and racing we include as part of that. So baseball, football, hockey, we're into all of it. And my dad, when I was younger, when I was a kid growing up, my dad was a Giants fan. He was a diehard Giants fan. I, I watched him and Eli Manning win two Super Bowls against the Patriots. Like this man is a Giants fan, right? And then I become an adult. And the next thing I know, he's a Packers fan and he's all about some Aaron Rodgers. And I'm like, what the hell just happened? And now he can't stand the Giants. I was, I'm like, sir, that's not, that is not how this works. <laughs> that is a very strange transition for sure. Right. <laughs> and to this day, Brian, I have no idea how it happened. It was almost like literally I walked in one day on a visit home and I'm like, what? Now there's green stuff. What is happening? Okay. All right. So, so is he a Jets fan now? Him. Well, so that I was going to say, I haven't talked to him yet since this has happened, like it since it became official. Mm -hmm. So 
I'm actually headed home next week because I have not been home to New Jersey since about Thanksgiving. So finally getting to go see the family next week and, you know, obviously give them copies of the book and just see people yep. I haven't seen in a while. So, yeah, it's going to be I'm going to wait to talk to him until I get home because I need to see him. I need to see how he's processing yeah. how this has now happened, because I'll tell you what, he hates the Jets. So, this OK, is so this will be this will be the test. This will be the test when you go back. What color green are you seeing? The Packers green or the Jets green? But that is a fascinating story of your dad just switching alliances. I might have to Instagram it. I might have to Instagram video of like this conversation because it could get interesting. So we'll see. We'll see. I like it. I like it. Well, you know, Brian, I was just thinking as well, you know, we were talking about the Packers uh, and we, we talked about Talladega, but something that we we didn't get to talk about. And I know it had a lot to do with uh, your team, the 41 car. You know, Ryan Priest took a massive hit. The video of him taking that hit, hitting uh, Larson was probably one of the hardest hits I've seen. I, I know that there were talks last year at uh, Atlanta where when Noah Gragson hit the wall, he said that his helmet hit the steering wheel. Well, seeing Priest and seeing that impact, and it was unexpected by him. Number one, how's he doing? What was that car like? And uh, I know there was a lot of talk on Twitter about that accident. Yeah, I mean, what a scary wreck. Something, you know, honestly, I don't think we've seen a side impact of that magnitude that I can remember. And since I've been watching this sport, um again probably mid-2000s a lot like kelly um and you know you as well kelly can can you remember a side impact of of this hard i mean i just i haven't i can't remember i can't either that i think that's what made it so jarring is that it was so vicious and then obviously the in-car camera makes it even i mean tougher to watch but no i'm with you brian i i can't um I can't think of one, whether it's been right side or even driver's side, that's been that bad in recent years. So I think, you know, I I think a couple things are going on here. First of all, I think if we didn't have that in-car camera, um, obviously the door bars were bent, but the the right side of that car with these bodies just didn't look like a totaled out car um, that you normally would see. You know, normally with those metal bodies, they would stay stuck in wherever they got hit and, and they wouldn't bounce back out. And and so initially, I think your your mind goes to, um, you know, maybe that wasn't that hard of a hit. And then you kind of see the in-car with Priest, and you really realize what these drivers go through when they go through impacts this hard. And, and I think they said that was about 41 Gs, which is a substantial amount felt for, for a driver um, and, and, you know, the, the equipment that that is in that car to keep them in the seat. So um yeah he he was there monday morning working out with the pit crew which was just absolutely mind-blowing to me walking around saying hi shaking hands work you know working out with the the guys so um i i just think it speaks volumes to you know the safety of these seats the the seat belts um the cars you know a, a lot of people are looking at the car and saying what a failure this may have been and Honestly, if if a Gen 7 car would have hit the right side of a Gen 6 car the same way, we have, would have seen the same results. The right sides mm-hmm. of these cars are pretty much built the exact same as the Gen 6 car. Now, when you get to the left side of the driver's compartment, there have been a lot of improvements on that side where we would not have seen this type of damage. Now, would Kyle Larson still be injured? And You know, probably so. That was That was just, again, a, a massive hit. So... But we have door plates, two door plates on this car. Now there's one on the outside. There's one on the inside. The bars are built differently. Um, but really here, what I'm worried about is the front clips. That is where our issue is. And that may surprise a lot of people. But when I walked up to that 41 car and saw that the the motor only being two or three inches away from the firewall in this car because of the transaxle being in the back. So the, the, the amount of space between the the firewall on the back of the motor is very small. And when I saw that that motor hadn't touched the firewall, it had not moved back. The bumper bars, the front front of the bumper structure was crushed in the center, but the arms holding the bumper structure forward weren't bent. The front clip outside of the notches that are cut in the, in the bars near the firewall to help the uh, clip collapse, those were, had collapsed a quarter inch. But outside of that, the clip didn't even look that bad. And, and that's what scares me is, you know, I, I, I think these front clips, just like the rear, are just way too rigid. And, and you know, it, 
it was a hard hit for Priest, but more scary than anything else is the damage we saw on the right side of that five and the door bars being ripped out so much so that they actually swung and hit the petty bar, which is in the center of the car. That is that is bad. And again, it's not a center section issue, in my opinion. It's it's a front clip issue. We need these cars to um, crush a little bit more, give a little bit more, whether it be a driver hitting a wall or a driver hitting another driver. And, and, and this isn't, again, a failure. This is just another time and period, just like Ryan Newman's wreck, just like all these other huge wrecks that we have seen in the past and are always going to continue to see in the sport. This is a time when we learn and try to improve on what we have. So, um, yeah, I mean, NASCAR kept that five car. They still have the 41, and I don't think we're going to see it anytime soon. They are taking this extremely seriously, as are the drivers. Um, all of our drivers this week came in and they spent hours sitting in their seats, adjusting their belts, trying to learn from this accident. Um, like we heard Priest talk about with, with Harvick, you know, why did he move so much? Why did the seat move so much? So there's so many things you have to look into. Um, and it's just another reminder, which is fantastic for the drivers, the crew members, um, you know, the safety inspectors, the, the guys at technique welding these chassis together, um, how serious this is when you put a bolt or you weld a bar or whatever it may be, how serious this is to saving someone's life um, at any moment in time. 41 G's is crazy. I don't know. Like, I don't know where that ranks amongst. I mean, I know Elliot Sadler had a massive hit at Pocono. Uh, you know, there've been big hits before, but 41 G's, this car is safe. That's, that's one part of this element is, this car is absolutely safe, and it's just still trying to find some of those components. I'm really glad how you talked about it on Twitter, and obviously you explained it very well here because the driver's side and the passenger side is vastly different than how that's built. And there were a lot of, obviously, reaction fans that just don't know enough about the cars or how they're built, and instantly they're thinking, well, if this would have happened on the other side, this would have been horrible. So I'm glad that you explained it. You did a good job, um, you know, yeah, I think that that was very well said. Again, again, 41 G's. This isn't a driver hitting a wall. This driver pulled 41 G's hitting another race car, which is What's, just. It's crazy about that, Brian, is that's 40, what, 40, 41 G's you just said. I talked to JJ Yaley yesterday. I was recording a future episode of my podcast, and <clears throat> he crashed at Martinsville. Um, he had a stuck throttle, which. Um, and, every, and everybody saw the wreck, but, you know, for people who don't know what happened, he had a stock throttle. He told me yesterday, just yesterday that that, I think he said, was close to 30, 31 Gs of what he, and that's at Martinsville. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's there. Yeah, these, I mean, they're tough hits. These cars are rigid, um, you know, but, I mean, they take these big hits, and, and there's still tons to learn about, whether it be, you know, the mounting points on the clips, how we can allow these cars to, crumple more while still being able to perform the way they have to. Again, this is a different car than the last one. So, so they're not necessarily structured the same, nor can they be structured the same. Um, mm -hmm. But man, we, we've seen some big hits these last two years. And I mean, thank God the drivers have been good. This, this hit this week was something that NASCAR is going to remember forever. Just like, again, that Ryan Newman wreck, this is going to be a, a huge moment in time for, for the safety of the sport. Now, what is really tough is how we go about implementing changes because it's not like the teams can go out and, you know, come up with a different bar system, a different thing, whatever it may be. If there's a change to these chassis in any way, shape or form, it has to go through technique. It has to go through the vendors. And that can take a lot of time, not only to, um, you know, develop, but also implement. So, um, there's there's some tough times I think here for for the industry in the next couple months trying to figure out not only what happened how we can improve it but also um, putting those changes into effect. Yeah, well that'll be interesting to see kind of what comes out of it as the news. You know, you said the 41 and the five are still uh, being held at the R and D center, so it'll be interesting to see you know what comes out of it, what develops, uh, any other safety features. Uh, but it's good data at least nobody got injured. So and like you said, Priest. I think he sent a uh, tweet or an Instagram of the next morning working out in the gym. So uh, it's amazing that he's able to, somebody like that is just able to recover um, that quickly. And 
um, obviously keep going. So that's good. It's a credit testament to the car and to you guys, Brian, of what you guys are building. You're building safe race cars. That's a testament to everybody that puts their hands on it uh, and works on those cars. So uh, really good to see that nothing negative came out of it there. Uh, Kelly, you know, before we let you go, I know obviously you mentioned you do the podcast and got JJ Yelly. What's what's uh what are some of those challenges for you because you know you're doing the writing you're doing the podcast you said when you're working when you're not working you're thinking of work so the the podcast has that been fun to do for you oh the podcast is an absolute blast i mean i I really get to sit down and have more in-depth conversations with folks and not have to write a story about it right it's just an easy way to it's an easy way to have a conversation and I'm a big fan of podcasts, which is why I started one myself, because as I said, it it gives you a chance to go more in depth with people. You can hear their emotion. You can hear their tone. Mm -hmm. You hear it straight from them, whatever you're talking about. And I have learned so much about so many people, whether it's drivers, crew chiefs, um, media personnel. uh, You mentioned Laura Beth. I mean, from PRN, you know, people I never even would have thought of or had come across before. And uh, I've been able to use this podcast to just learn about different areas of the sport and just learn people's background because until you do a podcast and you sit down and you think about it, you have an opportunity to really just ask simple, basic questions of where you came from and how you got here, right? Because everybody has a story. So I love the podcast. Um, But as you said, it is challenging, right? Is trying to get requests out there and who answers them in a timely manner and who can schedule them for this week or does it have to be next week or two weeks from now? And I try not to miss a week of episodes, but there's times where, yeah, I'll, I'll go into a week like this week and I had this week's episode already done and I didn't have one yet for next week. And then, you know, you're you're feeling the pressure because I take it so seriously, but then they all come together and all of a sudden this week I recorded three of them. So now I'm set again. So that, that you know, that's just part of the business. It's just like writing, yeah. you know, it's, it's just like when you're trying to do a story of just getting in touch with people and getting it scheduled mm-hmm. and making it happen. But once those conversations happen, oh man, it's a blast. So I hate having to edit them. I still hate that even doing it all these years later of just <laughs> having to put it all together and listen to myself back. But um, yeah, it's awesome. I respect but, that. I yeah, can understand that. It's a lot of fun. I, I love doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. Cause like I said, I, I know people really enjoy it. I don't have the biggest listener base, but you know what? I've got a, I've got a good enough one and people look forward to them and, and I enjoy doing them. Cause like I said, I, I learn a ton. So it's a, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it has its ups and downs, but for the most part, it's pretty damn cool. <laughs> That's cool. Well, well, last question before I let you go. You said you're a reader. You love reading books. You, it doesn't sound like you read books twice. So what is no. a favorite? your favorite book that you've read, and what are you reading right now? Oh, gosh, I don't have a favorite book. I, I, I Because I, honestly, I read so much, I, I would it would be my favorite book for a month or a year, and then something else comes along. Um, mm-hmm. I read about a, I read a hundred books in a year a couple years ago. So that's how much go. I'm reading. I, I'm, I'm reading a ton. So I don't have a favorite, but I'll read, I will say I'll read anything. So I will be the cheesy cliche romance to histor- to fiction, to mysteries, to biographies. So, um, and that's, that's what I'm reading right now. So I'm actually splitting my time between two books because I started reading one and it just is so dark and so, so twisty. It was kind of messing with my mind. I had to put it down and, and go to something else because I'm reading about, uh, obviously, it was the 30th anniversary of the Waco raid. And I am fascinated by that. So I picked up a book on, it's just a just a biography, not a biography, but like a, it's an in-depth profile of David Koresh. And obviously, he was a very twisted, perverted mm-hmm. MFer. So no joke. I mean, I've been reading this and I'm like 150, 200 pages in. And I finally, I was like, you know what? I, I gotta, I gotta pick up something else. Cause it was really messing with my mind. <laughs> dark yeah. it was. So I'm working my way through that. And I actually just picked up, uh, I believe it's by Jeff Benedict. I love his writing. Uh, he did a, he did a piece. It's another profile book on LeBron James. And I can't say I'm the biggest LeBron James fan, but I love writing like that. I love stories like that. And um, I've read a bunch of Jeff's books. He, I think he also did one on, he did a similar one on Tiger Woods and not very much of a Tiger Woods fan, but he can tell a heck of a story. So 
those are the two I'm, I'm flip-flopping like through it. right now. Because like I said, when I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the Waco stuff, but when it gets a little too dark, I'm like, okay, we'll go over to LeBron. <laughs> yeah, we'll go over to sports a little bit. We'll just get my right. mind in a different place. I was going to say that a book like that has to be so difficult to put down because there's so much happening, but uh, it can be a little hard to read uh, as well. So I always yeah. like asking some of those questions, kind of that paints a different light behind the curtain, if you will, because we see people like yourself and so many others that, you know, are, are doing the grind of each day of, you know, working, 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 and then just understand, hey, what's going on behind the scenes? What do you do for fun? We're all people. So yeah. I always like asking that. Uh, please feel free to uh, plug anything that you need. Uh, I want to make sure everybody that's listening to this is supporting uh, of your shows and everything that you got going on. So how can everybody best support you on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis? No, I appreciate that. This has been a ton of fun. So Obviously, racer.com, that's where all my NASCAR and some NHRA content when they let me do that. Um, I, I love that just as much as NASCAR. So racer.com, the Racing Writers Podcast, That's you should be able to find that everywhere. I'm pretty sure it's on all major platforms now. So that's the Racing Writers Podcast. I do have a public Facebook page if people want to follow that, if Facebook is their preferred means. And um Instagram. I, I'm, I'm trying to have, a, I'm trying to be one of those that comes out of my shell a little bit more by using Instagram. Okay. Believe it or not, I'm, I'm kind of an introvert and, and shy, contrary to popular belief. So I'm trying to loosen up a little bit more and post some fun stuff on, on Instagram of just my crazy life and obviously all the racing stuff and sharing, you know, photos and mm-hmm. videos from the racetrack. So yeah, that's basically, those are the big ones. Um, I haven't really ventured out into much of anything else. I am on LinkedIn. If people, you know, want to see the professional Kelly, you could go to LinkedIn, (laughs) um, Twitter and, and Instagram and Facebook are are pretty much the best places to follow me. And as I said, racer.com and the podcast. So I'm, I'm all over the place. Well, that's good. Well, I appreciate you joining us Uh, as an introvert. You did a great job uh, here uh, with us tonight, but make sure you fill out a bracket. Appreciate your time. And uh, we'll definitely have you on again uh, in the near future. We'd love to talk more. So thanks again for uh, joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. And that will conclude this episode of All Things Go. Make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And be sure to follow Kelly Crandall on all her available social media accounts as well. For Brian Murphy, I'm Derek Yoder, and we'll catch you next time for episode 24.